0: Okay, hi everyone. Um, As Krista said, my name is Shirley, for those of you who I haven't met yet, Um, and I'm on the teaching team here at ECV. And today, we'll be continuing our series called Allegiance. And today, we'll be talking about allegiance of resources. Is there a clicker? Oh. Oh, it's up here. I found it. Okay. Resources. Allegiance of Resources. Um, And so to start, I'm gonna start off with just a story about me and resources. So this is a story from when I was probably around eight. Um, So growing up, I don't really think I got that much of an allowance. But when I was eight, that summer, I was going to a summer school. Um, And so during the day, uh, we were in the classroom, and I remember that summer I spent a lot of time practicing my doodling and my drawing. Um, So we were in class during the daytime, and then in the afternoon there were extracurriculars like ballroom dancing and different sports and stuff. So I had a pretty good time at that summer school when I was eight. Um, But one of the best things about that summer school was the snack shop. Yes, okay, thank you. Yeah, the snack shop was great. There was all different kinds of candy and snacks, um, but as I said, I didn't really have an allowance growing up, so I didn't really have money to spend on the snack shop, so I think I just like looked at it from far away and was like, wow, what a great snack shop. Um, <laughs> But I think, I'm I'm guessing that one day, or like over the course of many days, i probably talked to my parents a lot about this snack shop and probably asked them for some money to spend here. And so one day, I think this was probably around the middle of the summer, my parents gave me $20, I know. And as an eight year old, this was everything. I was like, I'm rich, I can buy anything. And so the next day I showed up to summer school and I told my two best friends at that summer school, let's go to the snack shop. And I said, let's buy anything, it's on me. And so, so I think we spent like a really long time at that snack shop and basically by the time we walked out, all the money was gone. (laughs) And so, um, also in retrospect and pretty soon after, I think I realized that that $20 was probably supposed to be for like the rest of the summer. Not just that one day, Um, but I tell this story just to tell you about the joy of receiving a good gift. When we get a good gift, I feel like sometimes we can't help but want to share that good gift. And I'm wondering if we see our resources or even our lives as good gifts to us, maybe we're more likely to share with those around us. And so today we'll be in the story of 1 Kings 17, so this is a couple chapters after where Matt left off last week. Um, so since last week, uh, Israel has gone through a lot of different kings, and now we're in the time of King Ahab. And it says in 1 Kings 16 that King Ahab was one of the most evil kings. So this is a really tumultuous time in Israel's history. So I'm gonna read the passage for us all the way through once. So it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Basically, Israel was heading into a three-year drought and therefore a famine as well. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from there and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherithez east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you, So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I've nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. I don't know what the next slide is. Oh. So, how do we talk about resources when resources are so personal to everyone? For most of us in this congregation, we are not and will not ever be like this widow in our material resources. We are not on our last handful of flour. But does that mean that we can't ever have the faith of this widow? And for the widow and those that are more materially vulnerable, is there good news for them in the area of provision? I can feel really comfortable telling those who have more than me, be generous, God's got you. But is that really good news to those who have less than me? In this story, we're told the story of a widow and how she responds. We're also told the story of how God provides for her. In the midst of this three-year drought and famine, this is the story that we're told, which tells me something about how God sees. I think God doesn't want us to ignore that this woman is a widow and is therefore vulnerable. That's why Jesus and the prophets repeat over and over and over again in the scriptures to care for widows and those that are vulnerable. God does not overlook the injustice of her situation. But she, the widow, also has agency and has a story of faith for us to learn from. She is not just her material circumstances and neither are we. God sees the material circumstances that each of us has, God knows how much you have or how much you don't have, and God has something to say to each of you. One thing I feel like I've observed in the area of resources is, you can have a lot and still feel scarcity, and you can have little and feel plenty. I'm gonna repeat that. You can have a lot and still feel scarcity, and you can have little and feel plenty. So what if, when it comes to our resources, it's not just about how much you have and how much you have compared to others? What if Jesus also cares about how you particularly feel about what you have? That God cares about justice in this communal system that we're a part of, and that God God has particular mercy for you. God cares about basically the allegiance of your resources. To where or what or specifically who are your resources committed to? Allegiance also comes from the word alliance, which means the state of being joined. So are your resources only joined to yourself? Or are they joined to God? Do we, our resources and our lives belong only to ourselves? Or do we and our lives and our resources belong to God? So I'm going to pray for us as we dive in deeper. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us. And these are really big questions that we're asking. Oh no, I hit it. So I just pray um, that during our time together in your word, Um, that you would just bring your wisdom and your insight to all of us together and to each of us as we sit here. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we're going to focus on this interaction with Elijah and the widow in verses 8 to 11. So it starts with, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and God says to Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there, Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow is there gathering sticks. And he called to her, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So first we're gonna focus on Elijah's ask. Think in this we find the first truth about provision and resources, that sometimes we have to ask and in humility and courage as Matt talked about last week. Elijah, which the chapter 17 begins with as a prophet, could have been like, let me just use God's favor and power for myself and let me skip obedience and dependence. He probably had that option. He could have said, doesn't this responsibility as a prophet make it so that I deserve to have food provided for me and not by birds? Because remember, before Elijah gets here, he's fed by ravens in the morning and ravens at night. But for Elijah, he chose a life of dependence. He was fed by those ravens in the morning and in the evening and drank from a brook and eventually watched that brook dry up because of the drought. And then he was told by God to leave, to leave those ravens that had been providing for him. That probably took him some time to get used to, some time to trust for yet another way of provision. And this time, God told him it would be a widow that would feed him. And when we hear this, maybe all of us have different reactions to this. Maybe some of us are like, yes, this makes sense. A woman providing for us, or a human providing for us, is better than birds. But maybe some of us are actually like, I'd rather take the birds, I don't wanna be a burden to a widow, someone who already doesn't have much. Whatever Elijah's reaction is to God's challenge for him to seek provision another way, God says go, and he does. And maybe after seeing those birds provide for him night and day, maybe he has some faith to trust God. So maybe you find it easy to ask for help in the area of provision, but for those of us who find it hard, me among them, yes, God can provide for us directly through birds even, but maybe we can also have the courage and humility to ask for help from people when we need it. So the first truth about resources, sometimes we can exercise courage and humility to ask for help when that is how God wants to provide us help. Next we're gonna talk about the widow's response. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering sticks for myself that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. The NIV translates this to, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. The New Living Translation translates, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread. To me, it feels like when she says this, there's a kind of desperation in her response. She's saying, I don't have that. I really, really don't have that. I only have a handful of flour and a little oil in a jug. I have less than what you've asked of me. When we have little, it makes sense to be afraid. When someone asks for something, we become afraid we think we don't have that. What we already have is scarce, and all we can do is hold on to that little bit. And it's partially true that what we have, God's provision to us, is not just for us to give away, it's also for us. So perhaps it makes sense also that she's just naming her instinct that she needs this last bit of provision for her. But as Elijah notes, she does this from a place of fear rather than a place of confidence. Next, we're gonna talk about Elijah's response. He says to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So for some reason, I find Elijah's response oddly funny in that Elijah says, go and do as you have said after this widow has just told him that she is going to eat and die. Elijah doesn't say, no, you won't die as I would expect him to say. Instead, it feels like he says, go ahead, but first, or you can do that, but first. And maybe that is a response to have in the midst of fear. Maybe all we need is some curiosity to interrupt that fear, not necessarily all of the faith to turn everything around and change everything. I think, to me, it feels like Elijah says, you can continue thinking, feeling, and believing in that way but can you do this first? And I think this, but first, makes all the difference. He says, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. I wonder if sometimes the only way out of the fear in our minds and in our hearts is to move with our feet and our hands to try something another way to be curious that maybe there is more and I wonder if the way out of the fear of not having enough feeling scarce is to first give but actually the real first is I think to talk about that fear with someone or with God, as this widow does. She confesses her fear out loud. She says, I'm going to eat this last meal and die. But then, she does give. So, in whatever feels scarce to you right now, can you first give? And whatever feels scarce for you right now, can you first give? If friendship and connection feel scarce to you right now, can you first befriend someone? If time feels scarce for you right now, can you first give some time to God, maybe through a practice of Sabbath? If money feels scarce to you right now, Can you first treat yourself to something as a gift? I don't know what the generosity God is calling you to in your scarcity, but can you first give something? Maybe it's towards someone else, but maybe it's just to God, or maybe it's just generosity towards yourself. In whatever feels scarce right now, Rather than, I don't have that, I really don't have that, I have less than what you asked of me. God asks and says, make something with what you have and give it to me, and there will be enough. For me, as a campus minister these past five years, I've lived on gift income, basically the generosity of churches and people who believe in what God's doing. And this has taught me lessons about provision and money that I would never give up, even if the money was not plenty. In receiving the generosity of others, I learned to be generous with the little that I had. The few times that I received an honorarium for speaking or an end-of-the-year gift from students, it was such a joy to be able to give some of that away first, to be able to set aside a fund for spontaneous giving, to be able to give to more GoFundMes and more causes when I have that. And to be able to give more to others. And when I did, I still had enough. And that's what the widow does as well. She gives first. It says, she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Second, can you keep giving? In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, someone once told me that what struck them was that the disciples didn't start with all of that bread and fish. They started with five loaves and two fish. And they had to keep breaking it apart again and again and again and keep giving it away to eventually see 5,000 people be fed and 12 baskets of food left over. They had to continue to experience the vulnerability of dependence every time they gave away that second-to-last bit of bread or fish. So, can you keep giving? Can you keep living in dependence? Because I don't think we ever, or ought to ever, grow out of that. The passage ends with, the jar of flour was not spent. And neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So this reminds me, actually, of a verse in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8.3, where it says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I think this is why you can have a lot of bread and still feel scarcity. And why you can have little bread and feel plenty. Elijah, I don't think he had a lot of bread. He was fed every day by ravens and then was hosted by a widow and her family in the midst of a drought and a famine. But I think he had a lot of the word of the Lord. Multiple times at the beginning of the passage, it says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Then it says again, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And Elijah himself gives of what he has, the word, and shares that with the widow. It says in verse 14, Elijah tells the widow, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Are you living on bread alone? Or is there a word that you're living on? Because we do live on bread, and the Lord cares about our bread, God gave the Israelites bread every day for 40 years, and the widow and her household ate for many days. But they also lived on the word of the Lord. For the Israelites, God had said to them in Exodus 16:4, Behold, I am about about to rain bread from heaven for you. And he did that for 40 years. And to the widow, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty. For those of you that might be living on bread alone, for whom the Lord's word feels far away, in whatever area of your life, I'd invite you to get prayer, to ask for a word, and be curious if there is something more. For everyone else in whatever feels scarce, can you first give? Lastly, I wanna end with a definition of generous. So we've been talking about generosity all throughout this sermon. And the word generous actually comes from the Latin word generosus, meaning of noble birth which either means that being generous means imitating those who have a lot and therefore give a lot, those of noble birth and are rich, or I wonder if for us it means remembering that you are born of nobility, you are born of God, your parent who has a lot, who gives a lot and who loves you. To me, living with a generosity of spirit and resources as a child of God means that when it comes to work, I remember that a job is one that is given to me by God as a child of God and that therefore, I can live with a kind of generosity of spirit and resources towards others and towards myself. For me personally, it means that every day I look around my apartment and I am blown away by the gift of it because it was given to me by God and that means I also get to share the resource that it is. For me, it also means that in my work and in my assignments, I remember that God is with me as I'm God's child. Even when time feels scarce, I know that God cares more about me than about the assignment. So I can have a generosity and a grace towards myself and towards others with my time, even as the deadline of an assignment approaches. It means when I feel this scarcity of relationships, aka loneliness, I remember that I'm loved by God and that I can also share myself and befriend someone. And it means that with my money, I recognize that what I have is from God and the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty. So in whatever feels scarce, Can you first be generous? Can you continue to live generously as one born of God, as a child of God? So a practice. Something to practice and to help us believe that we are children of God. Is there something that you can give away right now Or is there a practice of generosity, believing in God, of time, connection, money, et cetera, that you can cultivate over time? And the worship team can come up. And so as we transition into the rest of our service, Um, these are a couple of invitations that I have for us during this time together. No, I touched it. (laughs) The first is um, as Elijah had to do at the beginning of this passage there's an invitation for you to have the courage and humility to ask for provision if that's where you're at. The second is if you feel like you have been living on bread alone, whether that is recently, or actually that's all you've ever known, you don't know what it feels like to actually live on something more, on a word from the Lord, I would invite you to receive a word and live on it. And one way that we do that here at ECV is prayer ministry. So I invite you to get prayer, whether that's today, whether that's in the future by talking to a staff member, if you are curious about what it means to live on God's word, I'd invite you to um, get prayer and ask about it. And the last invitation, if it feels hard for you to know that you are a child of God, I'd invite you to receive more faith in the blessing and the spirit of adoption, being God's child. And again, at ECV, you can receive that faith and that blessing through prayer ministry on the side, or feel free to do that another way throughout your week. And so I'm going to pray for us as we transition. Holy Spirit, thank you, God, that first and foremost we are your children, that we are not workers, we're not other things that might stress us out, Uh, we're not these things that might make us feel scarce, we're not even the amount of resources that we have. We are your children. So Holy Spirit, I pray that in our time together now that you would remind each of us of that truth, that we are your children, and that we can cry out to you, we can confess to you, we can ask you for more, we can give to you, we can trust you, we can rely on you, and we can live with you. So Holy Spirit, come and remind us of that. Pray this in Jesus' name.